Take our Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at the rest of the spiritual gifts that we find in the Word of God. Now, these are spiritual gifts that are given to each believer. And there's also a list of gifts that are given to the church. And so we'll look at those maybe at another time or perhaps uh, a week from Wednesday. Two weeks from tonight, I guess I should say. But let's look at Romans chapter 12 tonight. We have a list of ministry gifts, and you might be surprised that uh, as we read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we pull those verses out and we quote them, right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. But the context of the chapter is actually spiritual gifts. And so that those verses tie right into that and help us understand how we can use our spiritual gifts for the glory of God. And so let's look tonight at these gifts first. So we're going to start a little bit backwards. We'll look down in the later verses and get a listing of the gifts as we've been doing in 1 Corinthians And then we'll look at the first six verses to help us understand how we can discover and use our spiritual gifts for the glory of the Lord. I hope you understand that when you were saved, God's Spirit came into your life. And He came to indwell you and to seal you unto the day of redemption. And you understand that as part of that Spirit that comes within you, He he empowers something in our lives. He gives us a gift. And that gift is to be used for His glory. And that's what we call spiritual gifts. We've been looking at them in 1 Corinthians, but now tonight we'll finish them out in Romans chapter 12. So let's read together. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth, he that ruleth with diligence, he that uh, showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. And so through verses 1 through 8, we see a listing of the spiritual gifts. And then verse 9, he talks about how we apply those gifts. And so we won't look at those tonight. Uh, it'll take us too much time. But he talks about love being without dissimulation. Dissimulation means expecting something in return. And so we, just, we are to show our gifts and use them, but we don't expect to return on those things. So little things like that. So advice on how to use our gifts properly that God might get the glory. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We praise you for the word. We pray that you'd help us with it tonight. Teach us. Help us to know what our gifts are and use them for your glory and for the strengthening of the body of Christ. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I said this uh, today. I was talking to somebody and I said, you know, every time, this might sound strange, but hear me out. Every time we quote a verse of scripture, we are taking it out of context. Now, we, we hear the word taking out of context or the phrase taking something out of context, and we always think negatively, don't we? You're taking my words out of context, or you'll hear a sound bite, 
on the news. If somebody has a, a 30 minute speech and we only hear that one minute soundbite or a 30 second or six words and it makes them sound very bad. It might sound like something totally opposite to what they really meant because they were quoting the opposition or something. And so we call it taking it out of its context. We often do that in Scripture too. We'll pull a verse out and we will say, well, this is... How many of you ever heard if somebody wants to get saved, they'll use Revelation 3 verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And that's Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. That's not true at all. That's actually blasphemous. The, the story there is the church at Laodicea and Jesus Christ has been, the church is acting normally as if Jesus isn't even in the church. And he's on the outside desperately wanting to fellowship with his people and with his church and they've left him out in the cold. It's a church that exists without Christ. And so it has nothing to do with the salvation of our souls, it has to do with the church. That's called taking it out of its context. The truth is, every time we quote a verse, we're taking it out of context because we're pulling it out of the scriptures but that doesn't mean we're using it incorrectly. If you were to say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, we, we quote that verse all the time. And you might say, well, from that verse, I can prove to you that God loves you. That's not misusing the context, but it's taking it out of its context and using it as an isolated verse. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is often like that. And I've done it myself. I've preached these verses and I've never thought of them in their entire context. The entire context is the use of spiritual gifts that we'll see in this passage. Notice what he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I'm going to give you a summary very quickly of verses 1 through 6, and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll look at uh, how we can use our gifts properly. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now think about this in the context of what Paul is writing to the church at Rome. He's about to say there's some gifts of exhortation and ministry and prophecy and gifts that are differing among the local body. But I want you to understand that when you receive this gift, one, present your body as a living sacrifice. And two, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. It is a gift, not a talent. So there's a lot of people with a lot of talent out there today, and they'll stand on a stage and they'll sing, and people adore them, and thousands of people will scream and pay hundreds of dollars to go to their concerts or to go to the venue and watch a sporting event because of their talent, and, and they get big egos over it, and it goes to their head. And God is just saying, these gifts that I'm giving you, they're from me, and so you need to crucify yourself, present yourself a living sacrifice, and don't think more highly than you ought to think, because this isn't about you, it's about him. And so that's what those contexts of those verses mean. But now let's look at the, the gifts themselves, and then we'll come back and look at those six verses. Verse seven says, or verse six, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy. And we're not going to rehash that because we looked at it in 1 Corinthians already. Prophecy is the gift of teaching or taking the word of God and expounding it to the people. It's not always foretelling as in telling the future like we see in Revelation or uh, the Lord Jesus Christ talking about the coming kingdom or what have you. But it can be just simply the foretelling. There were a lot of preachers in the Old Testament that weren't necessarily prophets in the sense that they told the future. But they went and preached, thus saith the Lord. 
And so that is a, the gift of spiritual prophecy. And then we see in verse uh, 7, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. The word wait there is literally not about having patience, but literally to serve others, like waiting on a table. And so we are to minister one to another. What is the gift of ministry? It is simply the acts of service. I would say that everybody, almost everybody, has the gift of ministry. There are some that sit and do nothing. But there, most people want to be involved in the work of the Lord. We get saved, we want to do something for God. Even kids, they want to help. They want to do something for the Lord. And that's something that God puts in our hearts. And so ministry is simply acts of service. It is the general church work, such as those that are in Sunday school or nursery or some other activity or program of the church. And I hope that you will take advantage of that and be involved. In, and don't use the excuse, I'm not, I'm not, that's not my gift. It's not my gift. I will admit that uh, years ago, um, so 28 years ago when I first got in the ministry, I was asked to be a youth pastor. And I did that for about four and a half years. And then even after I became pastor, we didn't have a youth pastor for a while, so I stayed on and I did a lot of the teen activities and things. And then Pastor Rutherford came along and he helped out and he was doing some of those things for us and, and uh, did a good job of that. And then he went and planted a church and I became youth pastor again. And when I became youth pastor the second time, I really wanted to say, this is no longer my gift. I'm, I'm now in my 30s, I'm getting older. Most of it is because I, I couldn't play basketball with them like I used to be able to, and, uh, or at least I couldn't keep up. And uh, I started to slow down a little bit. Well, now I'm going to be honest with you. It is not my gift anymore. There's been a couple times where they were short-staffed, and Calvin last year Calvin said, would you come over on a Thursday night, and would you help with teens? And my wife and I, man, we, 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 I'm going to be honest, we just felt like fish out of water. We, we, we love the kids and we wanted to be there to help them, but they are different today than when they were 30 years ago. And it's just a different mindset and to communicate with them. And I, they said things to me, I thought they were speaking a foreign language. I didn't know all these, these different words and things. Now Josh is living with us and we're starting to learn. He'd say things like, that's cap. I said, what, what's cap? Or he'd say, no cap. I said, I don't know what that means, Josh. You just, I just stare at him. I have no clue. And he, but they use all these words, so he's starting to teach us what they mean. But a lot of times we use it as a cop-out. That's just not where I'm gifted. That's not my gift. Or I don't like working with children. I don't like... I'm so glad that the Lord Jesus loved everybody. And we ought to just... Sometimes it's about verse 1 again. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. If we're probably going to use these gifts, even if we don't think we're great at them. It's amazing what will happen if we'll just surrender ourselves and let God take what we do have and use it for his glory. I was reading about a, a Christian singer. His name is Rodney Griffin. He's written a lot of songs. He sings in the, a trio and travels kind of internationally renowned at this point in his life. He's written so many songs. Our choir sings a lot of songs that he's written. And uh, how many of you heard the song, If Just One More Soul Were to Walk Down the Aisle? God wants to hear you sing songs like that. Those are songs he's written. And um, so uh, he was saying that when he first started out, he always wanted to sing. But he said, I didn't have a good enough voice. I, I didn't know. He says, I, I didn't know how to play a piano. I, don't know how to, I still don't know how to play a piano, and yet I write songs. And he says, what I do, he says, I learned what the chords were. 
And he says, I write the number on the music, chord number one, chord number three, chord number five, whatever, and the piano player in the group will translate it for him and play it out. He says, but, he says, when I was 19, I said to the Lord, if you can take what I do have, I surrender it all to you and use it for your glory. And he's one of the most internationally, most awarded. They've actually, the songwriting award, they've named it after him now because he won it so many years in a row. They said, you can't win it anymore. We're going to name it after you and give it to somebody else. Incredible what will happen if we'll just give our lives to the Lord and let him use our gifts for his glory. And so the gift of ministry is doing those things that the Lord has Anything in the church that God has called us to do that we can do for His glory. And then we see verse 7, the gift of teaching. So ministry, or he that teacheth teaching on teaching. So we're to teach. And what is that? It's simply being able to take the Word of God and discern it. That's not, that's not as easy as you would think sometimes. And uh, I've got to be honest with you. I was, I'm thinking the Felders are here tonight. And I was thinking, I remember one time your son-in-law preached. And I literally had the three points he preached underlined in my Bible, and I still didn't see them. I had just been reading my Bible and underlining things, and he preached those three points, and I thought, why didn't I see that? That's, that's what happens when you have the gift of teaching. And uh, the discernment comes, and it just helps you see something that perhaps you never saw before. And you're able to communicate that truth to some other people. Pastor Rutherford is one of the most gifted teachers in that sense that I know. He just sees things. And it made me mad because now I could never preach it. He'd already preached it to our folks. I couldn't preach it after that. But uh, to see something like that and just go, man, why didn't I see that? Sometimes we get a preacher like that that'll say something and go, man, why didn't I see that? Why couldn't I grasp that? Because it's the gift of teaching. Understanding the Word of God and being able to communicate that truth to others. Somebody said this years ago, um, they, you know, we got into this fad for a little while that you go to Sunday school and they'd put a video on for the kids and they, they do all these different things. And I'm not against those tools. And I, and a lady in our church said this, she says, when I was a kid, we didn't have all that stuff. We just had good Sunday school teachers. I thought, you know, that's right. And, and so I'm thankful that we have teachers. I know Sarah's here tonight and Austin teaches the older kids, Austin Judge and Cindy and, and, uh, my wife is actually intimidated to teach when Sarah's around because Sarah just communicates the truth. And Austin Judge does a great job teaching those kids. I've, I've been in there and listened and, and just taking it and communicating. And that's the key of teaching, is being able to communicate the truth. How many of you have claimed that verse, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it? And then your kid goes and makes a bad decision. And, it, and you think, but Lord, isn't the Bible true? Here's the thing. The word train is different than teach. The word train has two parties in that word. There's the teacher who communicates the truth, but somebody is not trained unless they receive the truth. Does that make sense? Some of you had training for different things on the job or whatever, and and your boss can show you and show you and show you, but unless you receive it, you're not learning it. You're not trained. You've been taught, but you've not been trained. And so a good teacher will communicate But in order for somebody to be trained, they have to receive it. They have to apply it to their lives. And so that's what teaching is, being able to communicate truth. And then we see verse 8, the gift of exhortation. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us... Or Sorry, I read verse 6. Verse 8. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. Just simply a one-line thing there about exhortation. It means to encourage 
or somebody that fires you up. The ability to fire somebody up. Sometimes you see a glimpse into a locker room at halftime at a basketball game or between periods at a hockey game and the coach is firing his team up. A lot of times you can't hear what they are saying because it's uh, they're cussing and all kinds of things. But I, I, I saw one not long ago. It was a high school football team, and it was a Christian high school. And, and, the, and the coach was trying to fire up his team. And he told the story of David and Goliath and how this team was so much bigger. And they were, they were the favorites to win, and they were overwhelming them. So he got in, and he preached on David and Goliath at halftime. And he said, and David slew the giant, and he, and he exhorted. And man, that team got fired up, and they got excited. And they went out, and they beat that other team, and they won the championship. And so that's what exhortation is, being able to take God's truth and to encourage with it, to fire people up with it. And then we see the gift of giving, the gift of giving, having then gifts differing according to the great, I read six again, my eyes are not working, or he that exhorteth on exhortation and he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Just give simply. Don't expect anything in return. Uh, let love with be without dissimulation. It says in verse 9, that's, that's kind of quid pro quo. Don't expect a return on it. But with simplicity means just give. Just give. Don't have any strings attached to it. Don't, don't hold it over anybody's head. Don't, don't say, well, you remember when I gave you that, I expected. Don't expect people to treat you differently because you give them. Just give with simplicity. Some people have this gift. I remember a fellow in the church that I pastored before, and at wintertime one year, I just he was walking out the door, and I felt something on my pocket, my coat pocket, and I was talking to somebody, and a couple seconds later, I kind of, I thought he was just messing with me, and there was $500 in my pocket. That reminds me, this is sewn shut. I need to get that open so somebody can help me. <laughs> and uh, so I went over the party. I said, hey, what's going on? He says, go get some winter clothes for your kids. But he didn't even want me to know it was him. He just kind of tried to slip it in there while I wasn't looking. And that's just giving with simplicity. I'm trying to be a blessing to somebody. And we have a lot of people in our church that are like that. I could tell you story after story, but I'd just embarrass people if I were to tell how good people are about giving here at Bethel. And then the gift of ruling, it says in verse 8, he that ruleth with diligence. The word ruleth there does not mean to lord over, but it means in the sense of a shepherd. To care for, to take care of. A dad rules his home. There's different ways to rule, isn't there? You can rule with a rod of iron or you can rule with love. And this is talking about ruling with diligence. So, looking, the word diligence there implies to take the care of, to watch over, to make sure that their needs are being met. And so, we rule uh, with care. It's the gift of administration that we talked about in 1 Corinthians. Those on church staff and leadership. That's what you're looking for is the gift to rule with diligence. And then we see the gift of mercy also in verse 8. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Sometimes we show mercy reluctantly, right? I'll give you another chance kind of thing. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do this because the Lord commands me to. I, I got an email about two months ago from somebody from 40 years ago that had done a lot of damage at Bethel Baptist Church. And I'm assuming they thought I didn't know who they were or whatever, but I was here. I was a kid. And I remembered the name, and I remembered what had happened. And 
And uh, they asked me if they could be put on our church. They'd been watching online and they heard about our church email list and said, I'd like to be put on that list. And, and, and you know, in the past we'd had the church blog and we put funeral announcements and things, but I just felt like it wasn't that secure. If I put a prayer request on there, the whole world could see it. But with the prayer list or the email list as it is, it just goes to your inboxes and it doesn't go all over the world. And that's, that was why we changed to that or I changed to that. And so he had been following that blog, and that's what I was afraid of. And so I changed that email list, and he heard me say something. If you're not on the church email list, let us know. We'd like to put you on there so you can get prayer requests and funeral announcements, what have you, church announcements. And so he emailed me. And so I'd like to be put on that. Would that be okay? And he says, I'll understand if you know my name, and perhaps you don't, and you know, on and on and on. And I reluctantly showed mercy. I'll be honest. I wasn't cheerful about it like the Bible says. I wrote him back and I said, I will respond to you because God says I should respond. I should show mercy. I said, but I will not put you on the email list. I said, you've done a lot of damage in our church. You've hurt a lot of people. And they're still hurting today, some of them. That was a case of reluctant mercy. I didn't want to do it. I really didn't. How many of you ever felt like that? You did it because it was the right thing, but you didn't want to. You know, the Bible says this. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Listen to this. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. God showed reluctant mercy. God's character was to show judgment and wrath. But because for Christ's sake, he showed mercy. But he commands us today, do it with cheerfulness. Do it with cheerfulness. It's not an easy thing to do. And we're not always that blessed be able to do it. But when somebody is able to show mercy with cheerfulness and the love of Jesus Christ, they are the ones that will do the best job at hospital visitations and benevolence and, and uh, counseling one another. That's the kind of person you want in that role. So if you have the gift of mercy, we need your help. Because I sure don't sometimes. Those are the spiritual gifts. We've looked at them for several weeks now. But let's look at the first six verses. I want you to see the discovery of spiritual gifts. First of all, we have to understand the principle of lordship. Now, I do not believe in lordship salvation. I don't believe in that. That says that you, uh, when you ask Christ to be your Savior, in order to be saved, you must make Him the Lord of your life. Here's, here's the thing. He is Lord whether you make Him anything or not. He's already Lord. There, there's nothing we can do to change that. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and so now we, must, we, we, we should recognize Him as Lord, obviously, and we should respect Him as Lord. But to be saved, I, I just simply call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and believing that He can save me and He's my Savior. But notice what it says here. The principle of lordship, allowing Him to be the Lord over not just our salvation, but our entire lives, taking control. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Surrendering. That's complete surrender, isn't it? You might remember a little while ago, I preached a message out of Deuteronomy. It's been about a year and a half now, so you probably won't remember. I preached a message out of Deuteronomy, and I used a whole bunch of pots and pans up here as an illustration. You remember that? The silver charger and the silver bowl. And the Israelites were commanded to bring flour in a bowl and a charger in a, uh, full of flour and then a golden spoon. And uh, all the tribes of Israel were to do that, except for the tribe of Levi. And, the, and, and uh, Aaron literally said to them, Ye are the sacrifice. 
That would be a terrible thing to hear after watching 12 days of animals being slaughtered and blood flying everywhere. And then he looks at the tribe of Levi and goes, no, no, you're the sacrifice. But that's what the Bible is saying to us. That's a place of complete and total surrender. We are to be living sacrifices unto God. And in order to properly live as a living sacrifice, we are to be holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The word reasonable there, and here's why it starts the list of spiritual gifts. The word reasonable means minimal. This is just where we start. This is just the common sense stuff. It just makes sense that when you get saved, you're going to go to church. When you get saved, you're going to read your Bible. This is just minimal, reasonable service. So present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is where we start. Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. That's another part of our minimal, reasonable service. We should change. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So now, if we are going to find the will of God for our lives and use our gifts, which he'll talk about in the next paragraph, to his glory, then we must present ourselves to God. You have a gift within you, but here's the thing. Here's what I've I observed this passage to be true. If we are not doing the reasonable service, the minimal gifts, the minimal things God calls us to do, we're never going to exercise our spiritual gifts. Think about that. It just makes sense, doesn't it? So, well, I got saved, but I, I'm not, I don't go to church. Well, then you're not going to use your spiritual gift for the Lord. Because the spiritual gift is used in the context or the framework of the local church. It's used to edify the body. That's what the Bible says, uh, both, both in this passage and in 1 Corinthians, that we are members of a body. You say, well, I'm not going to go to church, then you're not going to use your spiritual gift. That's why this is the reasonable service. This is the starting point. This is the, the minimal things. He says, and, and we're, to, we're to separate from the world, be not conformed to this world. He says, well, I... I want to use my spiritual gift for the Lord, but I also still want to live in the world. It doesn't work that way. There are some things that make sense spiritually that are reasonable service, and so we present our bodies to God, a living sacrifice, and when we do that, we become clean vessels, holy, acceptable unto God, and God says, okay, now I can use your gift. God, how many of you like... I, I went to a restaurant the other day, and they keep it very, very dark in there. I don't know why it's so dark in there, but it's very dark. And Bethany was home, and she, had, she looked at a fork, and she, was, she took out her flashlight, and she said, Oh, man, that is filthy. So well, now I know why they keep it so dark in here. You know, How many of you like eating with a dirty fork? I mean, I want to eat what I ordered, not what the last guy ordered, you know? Dirty eggs on it or something nasty. Dirty bowls. Nobody likes that kind of stuff. Well, that's what God says. I, I, I want a clean vessel. A vessel unto honor, as it says in First Timothy. And so we are to be vessels on honor, wholly acceptable unto God. So we, we allow Him to be the Lord over all of our lives by surrendering to Him 100%. Then we see, secondly, the principle of stewardship in verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt every man the measure of faith. Hey, don't think higher of yourself than you are because it's God that did the work. God measured out faith to you. God gave you these gifts. And so let's, let's understand that we are just stewards of what God has given us. For as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office. In other words, the gift that God has given you is to complement one another. 
It's, it's to help in the local church. Three times in this verse, uh, these verses so far, the word think is used. We are to be a steward of the gift God gives us. We're not to sit and to soak and, and to sour, but instead we are to renew our minds. And then we, we, with our renewed mind, we're not to think higher of ourselves than we ought to think. But instead, we understand that God gave us this gift, and we're not to insult Him. We are just stewards of what God has given us. Here's the thing. If you had a, a job with a construction company and your boss said, I'm going to give you a truckload of two-by-fours, concrete, a truck of uh, a concrete mixer and truck, and I'm going to give you two-by-fours, and I'm going to give you tresses, and I'm going to give you shingles, and I'm going to give you plywood, I'm going to give you siding, I'm going to give you electrical wire and paneling, and all, everything you need to build a house, drywall, mud, paint, carpet, everything. I'm going to give it all to you on truckloads. It's going to come, and, and, and just a, five, six months later, when the job is supposed to be done, he comes back and checks on the work, and it's all still under tarps and is sitting on the trucks. What's he going to think? You're an unjust steward. He is trusting you with a job and you're not doing it. What if God has given you the gift of administration or mercy or teaching or exhortation? You say, well, that it doesn't work that way. That's exactly how it works. Because one day we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And all of our works are going to go through a fire. And some will come out as gold, silver, and precious stones, but some will burn up as wood, hay, and stubble. And it's all about what God has given us and what we've done with it. How we've brought glory to His name and helped in His church. So it's about stewardship. And then we see, four, thirdly, the principle of fellowship. Look at verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to His proportion, of faith. So the principle of fellowship, we are part of a body. We belong to each other, and in order to discover and use our gift properly, we must get into the body of Christ and go to work. And so our, our gifts are to be used in the framework of the local church. God has given us those gifts for that purpose. So when God gives us a gift, He will confirm that gift to somebody else normally, and that will come out. A lot of times we, we notice gifts in other people. You may, not, you may not know that you have mercy, but somebody's at home talking saying, boy, that guy really showed mercy to me. You may not know that you show love without dissimulation, but somebody else is saying, boy, they really know how to love people. You may not know you have the gift of exhortation, but somebody's saying, oh man, that guy, every time I get around him, they encourage me. They help me in the word of God and they build me up. And so it may not be something you see for yourself, but others will notice that gift. Why? Because we're all one body. I tell, you, I tell you this, it's funny, when you hurt one part of the body, something else always feels the pain, doesn't it? You ever notice that? You know, hit your thumb with a hammer, it hurts all the way up to your shoulder. It, does, it aches. Your brain is telling you that it hurts down at the other end of your body. And so we're all connected. And, and so when the body is working together, other people will notice. So it's a matter of fellowship. When we go to work, we'll find that our brothers and sisters in Christ will help us or ask us to help in specific ways. That's because God planned it that way. He says we are a body and we work together. You know what this is? It's an opposable thumb. 
It allows you to pick things up. But if you cut that thumb off, you remember in the Bible where they cut off all their thumbs and their big toes? And those people hobbled around and they couldn't pick anything up. They were trying to scoop things up. It was a, a defeat that Israel committed. I mean, incredible. But they cut off all their thumbs and their big toes, all the whole army. And eventually they all died. They were helpless. We don't notice that we have a thumb because our minds, just we just pick things up without even realizing it. But when it's gone, we begin to hurt. I tell you this, anytime somebody in the church gets sick or gets hurt or dies, it leaves a hole. And you say, well, I, I don't notice it. I tell you what, we notice it. We see it. We feel it. Sunday night, I came to the Lord's table, and the first thing I did when I was coming down the steps, my heart began to, I thought this used to be spring's job. Every service, every month, spring, we'd get the Lord's table ready, and her and Larry would carry it down, and it broke his heart. When he came to me and said, I don't think we can do it anymore, preacher. I guess I, I can't walk with the cane and carry the juice. And it just broke his heart. He said, I hate to do this to you. And I'm thankful that the Bousfields jumped right up and said, we'll do that. But it leaves a hole because it's a place of service. You don't notice till it's gone. Sometimes we take people for granted because they're so faithful for so many years. But there's a hole when something is hurt in the body. So use your gift for the glory of God. It's a matter of stewardship, it's a matter of lordship, and it's a matter of fellowship. And eventually, if you just be faithful and serve, your gift will come out. So I don't know what my gift is. Just, sacrifice, just, just surrender yourself to the Lord and start serving. And that gift will come to the surface all by itself. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, to understand. Help us to use our gifts for your honor and glory. And Lord, that you might receive all the glory that you deserve and help it to exhort and help your local church. And we'll thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Take as much time tonight praying as you like. Just remind you, be careful when you leave. The kids are out in the parking lot here in just a few minutes.